All right, welcome everybody to another episode of the Browns Note Podcast. This is episode 32, a very special Jim Browns number episode of the podcast. This is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. It is week nine of the 2015 NFL season, and the Browns, familiarly, are two and six, coming off of a brutal loss in a game that they had every opportunity to win, and that's sounding, of course, uh, like a repeated pattern so far this season. Let me let me apologize in advance for any hacking or coughing or sniffling that takes place on this podcast, and for my nasally voice, I have been a little bit under it the past couple days. Um, so there may be some uh, some funk, but we'll get through it. Let me welcome in my man, Brendan Leister, from the heart of Ohio. How are you doing, man? Doing good. How about you? Well, not so great the way I'm feeling, but uh, but I'm excited to watch some Thursday night football, even though it's it tends to be a little ugly, and we'll get to that, and we'll get to, obviously, the quarterback stuff, because there's plenty of it to talk about going into this week, but we ought to at least pay a little bit of lip service to the abomination that was on Sunday, although I got to tell you, even though they were up in that game, you know, by 10 points at the half, and it, it should have been even more than that had they managed the end of the first half properly, in my opinion. But I, I never really felt like the Browns were controlling the game. I felt like Arizona put the ball on the ground and handed it over a couple of times, and had they not done so, they'd probably be leading by two touchdowns. Did you ever feel like really the Browns had earned the big lead, or were they more just the team making fewer mistakes at that point? I agree with you about them making fewer mistakes at that point, but I also think that that happens a lot in football. Um, it was, you know, the Browns are taking advantage of mistakes that the Cardinals were making, but you see that a lot, uh, with especially with lesser teams. But the problem with that is it's rarely sustainable, and as we saw in the second half, the Cardinals kind of caught on fire, and the Browns played like they have on defense for much of the season, and. They couldn't really move the ball on offense. They stopped giving the ball to Duke Johnson for some reason, and the Cardinals just kind of pulled away. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the Duke Johnson thing, and at the time it was happening, you know, in real time, I just figured he was banged up or something. That's the that was the only logical conclusion for me to draw. Yeah, was if Duke Johnson's not even <clears throat> excuse me, not even on the field, he must be hurt because he's been their most electric playmaker. He's been the only guy that gives them an opportunity to make a big play out of the backfield. I mean, that's just, that's the way it's been. And, you know, that brings us to something that I think has been raised by any number of people about personnel usage. And it hasn't been so much on the offensive side of the ball. It's been more of a defensive thing. But so when you see something like that, where the personnel usage, and we've been talking about it on this podcast, not just with you, but Pete Smith and I have discussed it as well. There have been all sorts of instances this season where you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, why are they using this guy this way? And like I'm saying, it, it was more on the defensive side of the ball. But when it starts to happen on the offensive side of the ball, now I sort of do start to get into wondering, all right, what's going on here? And, uh, you know, whether you saw every play of that game or not, I don't think you, you need to have. Um, what, are you, what are you making of a situation where it's hard to reconcile what you think the players do best and the way they're being used? It brings some questions to my mind. Like one thing is I wonder if the position coaches are the ones that are handling the rotations because, you know, I think of a lot of us think of football, think of, you know, organized offensive football as the way that it kind of is on Madden or NCAA where you kind of create your package and then you put in the players that you want based on, you know, the play you're going to run. 
as we're in real life, I think sometimes position coach might say, okay, I'm going to put this guy in on this play. And the OC calls the play, and then he's like, wait, why is he out there? You know? So I'm wondering if that's going on. I might be wrong. It's just a question in my mind. But I really I don't understand why Turbin, for example, was out there after fumbling the ball uh, once or twice, and and then he fumbled again, and it was just a mess. I mean, he, he just kept putting the ball on the ground, and it seems like they're really going away from Crowell. I think he might be hurt. I haven't been impressed with his vision, as I've said multiple times, but going away from Duke Johnson in the second half just made no sense to me, and, and I really wonder why that happened, whether, you know, if he was banged up at yeah, all. Yeah, that was the first, I mean, first moment for me where, I'm, where I was, yeah. when I found out he wasn't hurt, I'm like, okay, well, what's Flip doing? Because that hasn't been the kind yeah. of mistake that I've seen from him so far this season. I mean, I've, I've really liked yeah. the way he's operated, and so it, it was concerning, you know. Um, I have to think there was something else going on there, and it just does bring to, to mind a lot of questions about, okay, is everybody in this organization really on the same page about what we're trying to do and the kinds of players we're trying to get. And I'm not here to lay blame at the foot of any one guy. Everybody wants to go, well, who should go? Is it Ray Farmer or is it Mike Patton or who has to go? Alex Shiner is causing all the problems. Well, look, to me, all of that stuff is a product of ownership that doesn't know what the hell it's doing. So that's a, that's a start for me when, when there's a lack of alignment between various you know, sectors of an organization, like it feels like maybe there is here between you know, personnel departments and coaching staffs and all that. To me, that is a failure of leadership at the very top uh, because someone has to set a vision. Now, Haslam, uh, up until now, to me, has been the guy who has set the vision. He says, here's what I want. I'm going to go get the guys that I think can bring me that. And I think his mistake is in deciding that he knows enough to set the vision. I think when you look at the good organizations and the ones that have been consistently winning, uh, you know, for the better parts of decades or more, uh, there's almost invariably, not in almost, there is invariably at the front end of that quality stretch, a head coach who set the vision for the organization. You see it in Pittsburgh when it was Chuck Knoll, when they've been doing it for 40 friggin' years. Now they change things, yes, but the way they conduct business as an organization hasn't changed a bit. Uh, you look at the way Green Bay does it. You look at the way Seattle does it. You look at the way New England does it. At the front end of all of those organizations, there was a head coach whose vision the organization followed. The owner got behind that vision. I haven't seen that yet from this owner or really the one before him. And that's what's frustrating to me is there's, there's a lack of organizational alignment, it seems like. And so that to me is what came out of that game and the last, pe- last couple of games for me is I, I don't see an organization where everybody's on the same page when you've got talented players and in certain spots. Now, I'm not talking about a whole roster. I'm not the guy that was here to tell you I think this team was a 14-win team coming into the season. I thought they were talented enough to be about 500 if things went decently. I still think that. And, you know, I'm not saying I think they have a chance to be 500 now. I'm just saying that I think they were good enough at the beginning of the year and had a couple of things broken a little differently. And had they closed a game or two, they would be right at 500. So, I, I, you know, to me, my view of what the team is or was hasn't really changed all that much, but I am discouraged by what appears to be sort of a lack of any one direction. Is that, is that too convoluted to you or does that make sense? No, I, I agree completely. I think we're seeing, um, we're seeing people kind of go in different directions with things and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of 
clarity to it, a lot of structure to it. And like you said, that's from the top down. It's Jimmy Haslam. I, I've said many times that I'm a big fan of Mike Pettin and what he believes in and, and all that. And it seems like the organization's tried to get behind him in some ways, you know, like for example, around the stadium, it says his, uh, his different, you know, play like a Brown, the different, uh, descriptions that he uses for the players that has to do with playing like a Brown. But at the same time, there's other things that don't seem like are his doing or his philosophy. So I think in some ways Haslam has got behind Pettin, but it just doesn't seem like you've fully gotten behind Pettin and let him kind of uh, set the organizational philosophy the way that you described with those other organizations. Yeah. And, and, a couple of more thoughts about this Arizona game before we move on and talk about what's coming up this week because hopefully it'll be a little more fun. You know, they did come out and play some decent football in the first half. I don't want to make it sound like they were just chunking along. I mean, they got the two touchdown passes early, um, so they were able to capitalize on some things which they failed to do in other instances this year, so that was encouraging. Um, But, again, I I go back to what they're they're trying to do, and I I feel like when when you can't run the ball – (laughs) <laughs> and your team is designed to win by running the ball, it's a real problem. And so I, I go back to the quarterback position. I know a lot of people want to point at McCown um, for certain games and, and whatnot. I'm not here to tell anybody he's playing great football, but I think he's playing a lot better than anybody had any reasonable right to expect him to play here in Cleveland. And I, I don't, I haven't yet seen um, the, the period where, I thought, okay, Manziel could come in here and I'd expect him to do better until the end of this game against Arizona where I really felt like, all right, I, I respect the hell out of Josh McCown for staying in there and taking the beating, but it sure looked to me like that had to be affecting what he was able to do. I, I, would you have? I, I know this is a stupid rhetorical, it doesn't matter at this point kind of question, but I, I'm just curious from a coaching standpoint, when you see a guy out there struggling like that, would you be inclined to make that change? Or is that, I mean, it's a sliding scale, obviously, of who you trust more and who you think is the leader and all that stuff. But to me, it looked obvious he was affected. What did you think? Yeah, it looked like he was affected to me. And, and like you said, it has to do with a lot of factors. It would have to do with my trust in Manziel, you know, how he did throughout the week. <laughs> Which is obviously limited for Petten at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, and it should be at this point just because of what he's shown on the field. I mean, he completed eight passes in that game that they won. Yeah. I, I know that everybody likes to make a big deal about him winning, but he completed eight passes. Let's keep that in perspective. Um. And then it would also have to do with what McCown's saying to me. Like, he's a really tough, competitive guy. He obviously didn't want to come out of the game. I wouldn't be surprised if they just let him make the decision. You know, yeah. if he was uh, I think Petten said come as out. much, basically. Petten said, I left it up to Josh, which I guess that's sort of my question. I'm not sure that's the appropriate call, but yeah. <laughs> either. I, seems I to can me, see it. Yeah, I mean, I can see it. I just, to me, I want to, I can also see what's happening. You know what I mean? I can see. Yeah, I, can, I agree. I, I can see going, okay, Josh, get out there. But then if you go out there and you look like you can't do what I need you to do, I'm yanking you. And so that's where I, I kind of got into, all right. And again, to me, all of this stuff, you can sort of compile it into one folder in my mental organization of this franchise over the past decade and say, look, you hired a team full of first timers your GM, your head coach. 
everybody here is doing this job for the first time. The offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, the president of the organization, the owner. There's nobody here that doesn't have a shit ton to learn. That's just a fact. And so when we start thinking about, okay, and you, this came up this week, so I just want to get it out of my, out of my system. You know, the, the idea that we're, they're going to fire everybody and do it over or fire Ray or fire Petten and let somebody else come in and work with one or the other of them. To me, I am not at the point where I'd be comfortable doing any of that. I, I, I'm not here to tell you they're all the answer, but I'd sure want to see the vision through a little bit longer than two seasons and a bunch of screwing up because it takes – young first-time people in any profession a little bit of time to learn how to do this stuff now if this is next year and it's exactly the same yeah I'd probably not probably I'd be I'd be ready to go but I don't expect a team that was basically crap to turn around and become a winner immediately I think it takes more time than two years and especially when you're changing it every two years I think there's no fundamental foundation under the organization. And so until they have that, it's going to be, frankly, more of the same. So if they do fire everybody, just be prepared that it's going to look pretty much the same two years hence in 2018. So let's, let's move on from that and talk about what we're going to see um, tonight, we hope. And obviously the big story as the Browns go down to Cincinnati and take on the undefeated and awfully, awfully talented Cincinnati Bengals. The big story is, of course, that McCown won't play. Manziel will start, and it sounds like Austin Davis is going to back him up, so who knows what this game may hold for anybody. Um, But obviously, it's a time to at least be curious about what we're going to see from from young Johnny. You know, I've hesitated to talk too much about him because I felt like, look, he didn't do anything, in my view, in those first two games that... I wouldn't. I mean, look, he made two big, th- two big throws, and granted, one of them was a heck of a big play and a heck of a big moment. So I give him plenty of credit for those things. But as you say, eight of fifteen for one seventy-two is not what gets you wins in the NFL on a regular basis. So, and and again, that Tennessee team is just not very good. This is a whole other deal they're facing in this Cincinnati Bengals team, and it's much more. Um, it's a better team than that Jets team that whomped on the Browns that first week. So. I don't know, man. I'm, I'm not real optimistic. I am curious to see um, what kind of growth is apparent since we last saw Johnny in week two against Tennessee. I, I would think that there would be some. This is half a season, another half a season down the line. He's had, you know, a week and a half, since this is a short week, a week and a half of starters reps. So, uh, look, I think he's probably, I mean, do I, am I going to sit, because my dividing line here has always been when he's ready, he should play. I'm, I wasn't just, let's see what we've got. I can't follow that line of reasoning. And so we'll find out tonight, I mean, by necessity, whether he's any more ready. And if he's ready, I mean, look, you are at the point of the season where, all right, if he's going to not get himself killed out there, and if they can move the ball even a little bit reasonably, then yeah, I think you're at a point where it's reasonable to, to put him out there and to, to stick with him and see whether he can grow into the job over the course of the second half of the season. But... If what we see is basically the same guy we saw week two, I, like, I'm not all that excited to find out what we've got because it's apparent to me, or at least it was in week two, it was apparent to me that he still didn't know enough. I mean, he just doesn't, he, he didn't. That's the way I'm going to put it. So with that, I will stop babbling and leave it to your thoughts because I know you've probably debated in your mind when the appropriate time to get him in there was, but it, it's hard to argue with the notion that there's no arguing anymore that they have anything to play to win for. 
Yeah, as I said to you earlier before we started the podcast, I think it was convenient that McCown got hurt. Uh, maybe it would have been a little more convenient if it wouldn't have been right before a four-game week, right before a game. You know, this is tough timing going into Cincinnati, playing on Thursday night with very little prep time. This is a tough spot for Manziel, but I'm very interested to see how he steps up, how he handles the moment. You know, I was excited about last year. He obviously wasn't prepared. He he wasn't, you know, he just wasn't a professional quarterback at that point. And I think this year he's made strides toward doing so, becoming a professional quarterback. And I'm interested to see how he does tonight um, in Cincinnati. I agree with you that, um, that it's important that he starts when he's ready. You know, obviously tonight he's starting because McCown's hurt, but he has to, you can't just force him in there to see what you have. I think that's a terrible line of thinking. I think waiting until he's really ready to play until he's, you know, until he can handle the entire offense, they don't have to dumb it down. I think that's the key. Um, I'm very interested, interested to see how the Bengals play him, yeah. how much man coverage they play, because he'll probably take off a lot of times when he sees man-to-man. Uh, I'm interested to see uh, if they use a spy very much. I felt like they did that at times last year. I'm also interested to see how the Browns' offense you know, uses guys like Duke Johnson, uses guys like Gary Bar- or uses a guy like Gary Barnage. Um, I thought last week in the game against Arizona, they did a great job of moving those guys around, creating mismatches, and McCown did a really good job of finding them. At least in the first half. So tonight, yeah, that's (laughs) what I'm saying. Yeah, that that was what I meant to say. I'm glad you said that. But I'm interested to see if they do that tonight with Manziel and if he can make those plays that McCown was making, just finding the open guy, staying efficient, keeping the offense on schedule. Because so far what we've seen from Manziel is mostly – you know, a big play here and there, and then a bunch of three and outs, and a bunch of a bunch you know, of three, three or four play drives, exactly. Yeah. So and, and a bunch we of need fumbles, to see <laughs> a bunch of fumbles. That's yeah. what I need him to do is not yep. hand the ball to the other team. To me, what I need Johnny yep. Manziel to show me, in order for me to think, all right, he's ready to find out if he can play in this league. Not not he's ready to be the guy. He's ready to find. out. I mean, that's where I think the disconnect is for a lot of people. Is I. I to me, all the stuff from last year I throw out the window at this point. It's, it's meaningless at this point. I, I look at it this year, and it's like, all right, well, he came in again as a rookie. So what kind of development path are we seeing since this kid got out of frigging rehab, since we're going to be honest about it? And so if you look at it that way, I, look, there's reason for, I'll just say, some faint hope. And as you also say, they didn't move the ball a lick in those in that in those games with him at quarterback, right? There were two huge plays that scored the touchdowns, and other than that, it was three and outs almost exclusively. It was ugly. So we're going to have to wait and see whether the team can actually move the ball. And I, and I hear you about this is a tough spot and the timing crappy and all that, but you know what? The NFL is full of that stuff, and and if you're going to be a good team, mm-hmm. you have to you have to beat it. I mean, you have to just not care. There is no you know the old saying, and I forget which of the legendary coaches it's from first, but no excuses, no explanations. It is what it is. You got to go out there and beat the team in front of you, no matter what the circumstances. And if you're the backup quarterback, you damn sure better be ready to go start a Thursday night game because 
those are the hardest ones to come back for if you're a starting quarterback who gets injured. So it seems to me that's the job that Johnny Menzel has been tasked with this year. And so from that standpoint, I think he'd better come in and play pretty well because otherwise there is a guy behind him who's got some NFL starts that I suspect one or two people in the organization might also want to see play. So there's an interesting added dynamic to it to me because if you listen to Farmer's Presser, and I know many of you did this week, uh, as a brief aside, I have absolutely no problem with anything he said, and I don't think there's anything he could have said that would have satisfied anybody besides I'm an idiot or Patton's an idiot and we should all be fired. So without that, um, yeah, I don't know what you expected him to say. He was, uh, he was Ray Farmer. He's not going to give you any information. So what were you expecting? Anyway, moving back. The, this game tonight, the Bengals and the Browns. I see the Bengals are averaging over 28 points a game. The Browns averaging almost 21. Obviously, that's not a good thing, especially when the Browns are also allowing 27 and the Bengals are allowing 19. This is a, this is a, this is a mismatch. I mean, on paper, on the field, pretty much across the board. Having said that, are there any matchups that you can see in this game that you might be trying to take advantage of from a Brown standpoint? I know the Bengals have struggled, um, relatively struggled to defend the run a little bit, and the, and the Browns have yet against anybody to put together a cohesive running game. Might this be an opportunity on a short week and with your rookie, <laughs> quote-unquote, quarterback who you don't expect to throw it up and down the field on these guys? Isn't this a time to... I mean, they're just going to have to stick with the run if they're going to have any chance of beating a team like this in Cincinnati. Yeah, that's another thing that I'm interested to see is if what the game plan is going to be like, if it's 50-50, if they're trying to run the ball a ton. You know, coming into the year, I think they expected to run the ball a lot more than they have. They've thrown the ball a lot. Um, Tonight, if the you know, I'm I'm excited to see how many shots Manziel takes down the field, also because I think that could open up the run game a little more. To I, me, I don't that's feel the, like McCown that's, has, that's the one. Uh, I will say it. That's the advantage that I think McCown or uh, Manziel does offer over McCown is that willingness. Now, I don't think it makes up for the deficiencies that he has, and and at least not yet, it hasn't. Um, maybe it will tonight. That'd be lovely. But you know, I. I do think that the threat that Manziel poses from a willingness to go deep perspective and from a takeoff and run perspective, those things do change what a defense has to consider and, and, take, and, and account for, frankly, because he can hurt you if, you if you give him, like you say, you mentioned the man coverage. If you play a lot of man on Johnny Manziel, he's going to gash you on his feet. I mean, he, he's just going to. Yeah. Um, where I think, and this is where I think the Bengals were so successful last year, is they just pinned him into the pocket, and they knew he couldn't beat him from there at that juncture. And I, I don't think he probably can consistently at this juncture either, but we'll find out. Um, and and they, they just kind of waited for him to make his own mistakes, and obviously he was more than willing to oblige a year ago. I, I do think he's, yeah. he's learned a lot more about what he's looking at now. So it will be curious to, or what will be interesting to me and what I'm curious to see is how he handles it when they go into that sort of, you know, mush rush routine with a, with a nice many, many, many DB zone back there and wait for him to learn how to dissect it. Has he learned enough to be dangerous in that scenario? Yeah, I agree. And another big part of this tonight, I think is, Duke Johnson. I mean, I think he is a huge part of the game plan tonight. He should be. Um, Manziel has to be willing to take the check down. At Texas A&M, he never took the check down. Last year, Kyle Shanahan's offense didn't really seem to emphasize the check down. So when things aren't there down the field tonight and he sees a look where he thinks, oh, well, 
the check down is probably the best play. I'm interested to see how quickly he exhausts his options down the field and just checks the ball down to Duke or even to Crowell because we've seen him do some good things in the past game this year as well. I think that Duke Johnson against the Bengals linebackers is a huge huge mismatch. I do Mal too. Maluga is not good in coverage. A.J. Hawk, I mean, I haven't watched please, the Bengals this year, but I know give what me, to bring to the table. Please give me Duke Johnson on any one of their linebackers. Please. I agree with exactly. you. Exactly. I mean, and even if they play zone coverage, I mean, NFL-level zone coverage, it's pretty much match-up zone. You know, they're playing the guy that's in their zone. So regardless of if they're covering them man-to-man or not, it's still going to be one-on-one mismatches that the Browns can take advantage of. And I think Gary Barnage, he's another mismatch in this game. I'm interested to see how Manziel trusts him. If he, you know, trusts him in one-on-one situations, just throw the ball up there to Barnage. Because like we saw last week in the first half in the red zone, I thought, that was a great play call by Flip to put him one-on-one with a cornerback backside in the red zone. McCown had the trust in Barnage to just throw it up yeah, there. Yeah, they just gronked let it. Let him go get it. They just gronked it. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, and and that's what I think Manziel needs to do tonight in some – you know, if they get down the red zone. I'll tell you. to have space and when, when you say that, you can go get it. When you say that, I think of – it's so funny. I think back to that. There was a passage in, in Bruce Feldman's book, The QB – and I'm sure you'll remember it. It's the one where mm-hmm. Manziel is sitting in the film room at A&M uh, before the Alabama game, his, his second time around. And he's talking with his, his quarterback's coach and his offensive coordinator about, hey, if I can get this matchup outside, and it's, and it's Mike Evans one-on-one with, a, with any corner, right? He's like, if I can get that yeah. outside one-on-one, just the, one, the one-on-one matchup, I will throw that ball 100 times out of 100. So, it, look, Manziel understands giving his guys a chance to make a play and mismatches. That is something he understands well. Now, he needs to be able to identify them from a, you know, a, a scheme standpoint. And so that's, to me, what, what's going to be interesting is when he has those opportunities, can he find them? Um, but, yeah. man, I, I, having said all this, yeah, go ahead. You have a point. Yeah, I have one more thing. Yeah, and I think he's done, he actually has shown that a couple times this year. Uh, Agreed. Think back to, I think, the touchdown week one to Travis Benjamin. He recognized that it was press man coverage, and Cromartie right. had no help. So Manziel does a very good job, I think, of recognizing those one-on-one matchups and giving guys a chance. I just want to see him do it tonight against a very good team. Yeah, Travis Benjamin is another guy tonight that they need to take advantage of. When they get press coverage against him, Manziel just needs to let it rip down the field, see if he can go get it, maybe get a P.I. call, you know, because that's, that's a big part of moving the ball down the field in the NFL nowadays. It sure is. Pass interference calls down the field. Yeah, just ask. Yeah, it's, it's depressing. I hate that part of the game, but uh, I, I'll grant you, it is obviously important to teams that are good. They do it all the time. The best quarterbacks get those calls because guys are put into stressful positions on, on the defensive side of the ball. And speaking of stressful positions on the defensive side of the ball, the Cleveland Browns will be in one tonight for 60 minutes because this Bengals offense is just problems left to right across the board. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the game. They've got one of the best wide receivers in the game, and in my view, one of the best groups of wide receivers in the game. They've got a huge playmaking tight end. They've got running backs that know what they're doing. They've got an offensive coordinator that has managed to pull it all together to the tune of a 7-0 and record and a buttload of points and yards. And I don't have any answer for people who are going to ask me, how is this Browns defense short Joe Hayden, short Dante Whitner, 
and performing the way they have thus far through eight games, how are they going to slow down this Bengals team? And quite honestly, I don't really have an answer for you. I think the Bengals are going to roll all over the Browns. So the, really the only chance the Browns have here is to create turnovers. And I think it's going to be tough to do. I mean, without Hayden, who has had his battles go either way with, with A.J. Green, but he certainly had the best of it at times. Um, I just I think this is a really, really tough matchup for this Browns defense, and I can't say I'm expecting anything particularly effective. Um, please. Offer some optimism in the face of my pessimism. <laughs> oh, I I agree with you. I mean, if you look at that Bengals offense on paper, that's that's a scary unit from top to bottom. There's not really a single position that I would say they have a deficiency at. You know, as you mentioned, the Eifert has come into his own. They have AJ Green, Marvin Jones, Andy Dalton's coming into his own, and then they have one of the best offensive lines in the league. Not to mention the running backs being so good. So that is a unit that very few teams, I believe, can match up with. And the key to the game is they just have to take advantage. If you know, if Andy Dalton has one of his typical primetime games tonight, like he did last year against the Browns on Thursday night. Oh, where he just God forbid. Terrible. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? If, if that happens, you know, when he throws them the ball, they have to catch it. You know, you can't have dropped interceptions in this game. Right. You can't have plays where you get to the quarterback and then you let him get out of your grip and then he makes a play and guy runs for 20 yards after the catch. You know, you have to be you have perfect to get the quarterback on the ground. Yeah, you have to recover fumbles when the team puts it on the ground. You know, you just can't miss opportunities. That's the biggest key for the Browns tonight. I think that they have. I mean, Pierre Desir has to play. Also, I'm so sick of seeing Johnson Batamosi. I'm going to scream if I ridiculous. see Johnson Batamosi playing corner. I agree with you completely. Yeah. And, and that I mean, O'Neill's use of defensive personnel to me is the biggest question mark I've got for this entire season so far. So. Yeah, but I completely agree. And and they also they have to put pressure on Andy Dalton. I don't care what it takes. You know, if if on third down they they yep. bring five six guys, I don't care. Just try to get pressure on him because that's the biggest key. Because if you let him stand back there, survey the field, their playmakers are going to be the Browns defensive guys one on one every single time. Yeah, especially without some of their better ones out there, and and. You know, for, if you're if you're not as familiar with the Bengals as those of us who watch every damn game every week, I mean, beyond AJ Green, we're talking about Marvin Jones, who's been a real big playmaker since coming back healthy. He almost got killed last week, but sounds like he's healthy enough. Uh, Muhammad Sanu is a big, strong, tough receiver to to deal with, and uh, and you mentioned Eifert, but to me, the thing that has really pulled it all together is the maturation and the advancement of Andy Dalton and the and the progress of Andy Dalton. And there are a few of there are those out there that will argue he's still basically the same player, but that they've gotten better around him. I, look, I'm sure they've gotten better around him. That is not the same player. That is a guy who has much more poise, much more composure, who has improved his accuracy and ball placement and knowledge of defenses. There's just no way around it when you watch the way he operates the offense and the decisions he's making. He's still Andy Dalton in that he will, as you say, he'll throw you one now and then, and you've got to be ready for it. But you know what? Some of the best quarterbacks in the game throw you one now and then. And Andy Dalton, so far this season, has played like one of the best quarterbacks in the game. And, and as, as shocked as I am to be here saying that, I'm saying it with, with full confidence. Because I've watched all, all you know, eight of their, or seven of their games so far. And Andy Dalton is out there making 
huge throws in big moments when they need him. And he's out there dissecting defenses for entire drives. And yeah, he's got a lot of weapons around him, but so do most of the good quarterbacks. And so when I watch this team, that to me is the biggest difference. And I give a ton of credit both to Andy Dalton, who's obviously the individual player most responsible for that. But I think it's hard not to look at what they've done on offense and think Hugh Jackson, their offensive coordinator, is probably going to get one of these you know, offense or one of these head coach openings this coming season because what he's put together with this offense, I mean, it's just a machine. They've been rolling people left and right, and, uh, and I'm, I'm concerned about tonight. Yeah, I agree completely. I think it's a perfect match of uh, coaching and then also personnel. It just When I look at the Bengals' offense, it just seems like they've done an excellent job of developing very talented players, and some of those guys might have taken a little while to come along, that was, example, was that was where I was going. That was where I was going. Tyler Eifert. Yep. But those players have come along. They've developed them. And looking at the Browns, you just hope that that happens with some of the young players on, on our team. That's where I was going with it. Because to me, the progress of Andy Dalton and what he has turned into and what their offense has turned into is why you have patience. I mean, it just is now. Do you have patience forever? No. But there were times when the fans in Cincinnati, Watt and Marvin Lewis gone. Well, you can complain about whatever you want to complain about. Complain about. But they've been to the playoffs this is about, what, this is going to be the fifth straight year under Andy Dalton. So, um, you know, <laughs> they're doing okay. And granted, they've got a lot more around him. And to me, that stuff started back when they put Marvin Lewis in the seat and they just left him there for a while. You know what I mean? I, there, there's just something to that where the organization has to clean all the junk out, and it takes time, and they, you have to start down the correct path, and it takes time, and nobody wants to hear it. And firing everybody has happened over and over and over again. And you can look around the league, and I don't know how you come to the conclusion that it's the right way to do business. It's the Dan Snyder way of doing business. And I prefer the, uh, you know, I, I guess the Green Bay pittsburgh philadelphia model so whatever we'll move on the browns are two and six facing a massive uphill battle against the cincinnati Bengals in cincinnati tonight the battle of ohio on primetime tv brendan you are of course duty bound to predict a browns victory here um, however creatively you may do it as i did last week with a score that was literally impossible um as a few of you pointed out i'm going to try and get one that's actually uh, mathematically doable but brendan give me yours first and then i'll close this thing out i'm gonna say 27 to 24 let's say the browns uh move the ball with manzel he pushes the ball down the field he throws a couple touchdowns and the defense forces enough turnovers to get the job done 27 to 24 browns you know what i will adopt it i like it let's just go with that 27 24 browns tonight um man wouldn't that be fun Maybe we get primetime Andy back for one little appearance this week. But uh, Yes, please. Yes, please. That was Brendan Leister. You can follow him at Brendan Leister on Twitter. You can follow me, Ryan Burns, at FTBL Sickness. This has been episode 32 of the Browns Note podcast, the Jim Brown episode, you might say. Uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully, after a Browns victory. Go Browns! Go Browns!